second down. Ryan takes the snap, goes to play to the left side. It's worth it. Presented by 49ers Hub. My name is Jay. You can find me on Twitter at NFL. And I'm Rich. You can find me on Twitter at RichJMadrid. And today and we got a special guest. We are joined by Eric Crocker, who is, if you're a part of 49ers Twitter at all, you have definitely seen Eric Crocker come across your timeline. And if you are not following him on Twitter, definitely follow him. Eric, uh, thanks for joining us. Let us know. Uh, remind the listeners who you are, where to find you on Twitter, and all that good stuff. Yeah, um, Eric, Eric Crocker, uh, at Eric underscore Crocker. Um, and, and it's been, you know, like when you, you talk about, like, you know, 49ers Twitter and stuff, it's been pretty cool because someone posted, like, a, you know, list your, your top five or top um, – like 49er follows. Yeah, yeah, I see and that. Yeah, you were all over I, that. I, I can, yeah, and, and I'm looking at the people that like I'm getting mentioned with. I'm like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I show my wife like, babe, look at this, because <laughs> it's like it's like Mayoko and like guys like that, you know, and like you know, I don't view myself like that. So to see, you know, other people kind of, you know, at least I guess respect my opinion enough to mention me you know with guys like that and it was like a lot of people um i was kind of blown away by that so that, that was pretty cool but yeah at, at eric underscore crocker um so you've been doing a deep dive into a lot of these uh draft prospects um for those buddy for those of you who didn't know the nfl draft is coming up um how would you not know it's <laughs> and over all over our timelines but eric has been doing a ton of ton of work breaking down receivers and dbs in this class um so talk tell us man who, who are some guys that you like um uh, coming up uh on both sides of the ball there and um we can get into that and then maybe where some of these guys would slot with the 49ers or, or where you how you think they're gonna go or what direction yeah so you know there, there's a bunch of guys that i like you know it, it just kind of comes down to you know, how they are fit for the 49ers and where you want to draft them. Are you willing to pass on maybe a safety in the second round to draft a receiver? Or are you willing to take receiver first and maybe safety second or third round where you might not have as good a safety at that spot as maybe a receiver you can get in the third round? So those are the things I think the 49ers are going to have to, like, make that decision. What are they prioritizing this offseason this draft and to me all indications you know after the first round because I, I think we know all know where we're kind of headed in the first round but after the first round if if you kind of look at all the 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 warning signs i guess or just like little clues i would say they're going receiver second round i think they're really making a receiver a priority just just from what we've seen you know you talk about how interested they were in odell beckham um, you know, they were really interested in them uh, at the combine interviewing, you know, who they possibly thought were their top five receivers, you know, at, at there. Um, just guys that they've been bringing in. All indications point that, that that's a priority of theirs to kind of 
um, bolster up that group. And, and I think it's definitely a need. It's definitely a need. So you mentioned the uh, the first round. So obviously the 49ers have picked two. And there, there's, like you said, we're, we kind of know most likely what's going to happen there. Um, so assuming Kyler Murray goes one, which seems to be pointing in that direction, uh, where are you at with that pick? Um, you know, I'm at two, and Nick and Nick Bosa is there. I'm definitely taking him. Now, I don't necessarily think that he's just 100% the best pass rusher. Um, I, I really like Brian Burns. You know, there's some other guys that kind of scream off the edge, but he's, you know, top one, one to three, you know, pass rushers. I'm pretty sure on anybody's board. Now, where you what you get with him that you don't get with some of these other guys are he is a day one plug and play, not just a pass rusher, but against the run as well. And you're gonna have to like help. You know, you I don't think you could you're just gonna leave a tackle all game one on one with him coming off of the edge. He's gonna beat guys there. You definitely can't um, block him with a tight end. Like we've seen with some of the other guys, like as much as I like Burns, at times you'll see them leave a like, tight end there and he just gets stonewalled. Same thing with guys Burns like Josh Allen. Allen. Yeah, Burns yeah, and Josh Allen. Allen you, you, just, you know, you'll see Josh Allen just, uh, uh, you know, just get manhandled by a tight end. And, and to me, that's something that shouldn't happen. Now, if you don't have a chance at Bosa and you want to take one of those guys and just kind of leave them in on passive situations, great. But if you have a chance at Bosa where he's a top one to three pass rushers, but also the best run stopping in, you get an all around really good player. And maybe he doesn't have the ceiling of maybe an all pro player or something like that. But I think he definitely is a pro bowl type player that could get somewhere around nine to 11 sacks a year for the 49ers. So um, that, that's the guy I'm, I'm picking. Um, maybe not the highest ceiling, but definitely not the lowest floor. All right. So go ahead, Rich. Um, yeah. And I'm, I, I'm kind of with, uh, with Eric on that. I had a, I wrote a piece on him a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that I really liked about him was just the variety of pass rush moves that he has. Um, some of the ones I've, I wrote about in there, cross chop, uh, you know, the basic swim move, a two-hand swipe. Um, he uses a wrong arm technique whether he's, when he's playing a run or pass, depending on what the blocking scheme is. Um, rip moves, he was just beating guys left and right. I think Pro Football Focus had him, you know, since 2014, he's got like the highest win rate off the edge, and that's just strictly beating the tackle off the edge and getting into the backfield. Um, I, I can't remember what the number is. I think it was like 24, 25%. And that's so that he's winning one in four reps over his career, you know, to get in the backfield. And no other defensive edge prospect or defensive end prospect in this draft has that rate. I mean, some. Some had a high rate last year, but that was the only year that they had that rate. Like, uh, you know, Burns had a high rate. Allen had a high rate, but it was only, you know, strictly one-year production. Bosa had that every season that he played, even the four three games that he played last season. So I definitely um, am with Eric on this one. I think Bosa should be the pick. I think he kind of will be, um, you know, unless they trade out, you know, which there's there's so many moves they can make here that uh, would be ideal for the team that I don't think they could go wrong with either taking him trading out or 
deciding to go with another edge prospect at some point, you know, maybe mid round or whatever, but definitely think the pick should be Bosa. Well, and the biggest domino that needs to fall is that first pick. If it's Kyler Murray, right. Murray, then obviously the Niners have the pick of the entire draft, but what if the, the Cardinals throw a wrench in it and take Bosa number one? You know, the, do yeah, do they uh, sit do they sit at two and take one of those edge guys you were talking about, or you could possibly target Quinnen Williams, who is talked about as you know a can't miss prospect, but he plays potentially the same position as DeForest Buckner, or could they could potentially look at, at, at trading back and you know hoping that maybe one of those edge guys that you talked about Eric falling back. Well, uh, what what do they do if if Bosa ends up going one? So um, I was doing like this little mock draft, and and what I did was. Bosa went one to the Cardinals, and so I'm sitting there at two, and the Packers offered me two. I mean, they, they offered me number 12, number 30, and, like, a first round in the following year. It, it was something like that. So I think teams that. getting all these picks in the first round? <laughs> right, I the know. Raiders, the Raiders, the Packers, picks. the Giants. So well, many the Packers, teams I want to say this. Picks. Did they trade with the Saints? They traded with the Saints yeah, for Davenport last year. Oh, right. right, and they gained some picks off that. Yep. So um, if, if that were to happen, and now I'm sitting there at 12, now now what do I do? And I think at that point, this is what I did, was I took DK Metcalf um, at 12. That's a receiver, and, right? And, and that's, yeah, that's a receiver. And that's he's the not... dude that looks like the mountain from Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's yeah. just absolutely jacked, right? <laughs> Yeah, hey, did you yeah, not you to know, derail this, but did you see the mountain thing that ESPN has where he said he wanted to play pro basketball? No, no, I didn't oh see god, that. I can't imagine trying. You guys to ready that. for a Game of Thrones tonight? Oh, oh yeah, oh absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah T- this Tiger and the Masters was just a a warm up for Game of Thrones tonight. I got my Game of Thrones beard ready. Yeah, yeah I, well, I have my Game of Thrones beard. As, as much as I can grow a beard, I have that right No, the, the beer, not the beard. I already have the beard. Oh, going. beer. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, there's a brewery that did a, um, a Game of Thrones um, like style beers, or and like the bottles are all Game of Thrones designs and everything. My wife got me I, one I, of I those Game of Thrones. My, my wife got me one of those Game of Thrones like goblets. I had it at my old house before the fire ripped through it, but that thing was badass. I used to always have a have a beer for Game of Thrones in my my little Game of Thrones goblet, my horn of I ale. Haven't haven't drank four loco since I was in the military, man. <laughs> I don't know why I drink them. I, I'm just really cheap, and it's just like okay. Oh, no, they're good down. though. They're so good. Yeah. I just haven't haven't had one in a while. All right, back back to DK Metcalf, Eric. We got derailed on Game of Thrones. Right. So realistically, I, I don't think that the Packers would be calling up for a trade. So I don't know how realistic that trade would is. But you know, if something like that were to happen, that that's at a that's a you know in that range, that's a guy that I would love to take just because of everything he has to offer. And you know, we'll get into the receivers a little bit later. But um, a trade back probably would be a little ideal. Um, but if I if, if you know, if I had a gun to my head and I had to stay at two, I had no other option. Quentin Williams, one hundred percent, would be my pick. And I just pair him. I pair him with Buckner, and I'd have what I felt like would be the most dominant interior pass rush in the league. And and I He's think there's so definitely valuable with that, especially when you have D Ford coming off the edge. 
He's yeah. he's so good, man. I've been watching all his game film from Alabama, and I just it's amazing how athletic he is for being an interior guy and being that big. Um, just the way he can get into the backfield and things like that and disrupt. Like he's really good against the run, and I know that, like I've said in the past, the run game is like secondary to to everything right now that offenses are doing, but. I mean, the guy is just so disruptive that it's hard not to see him disrupting, you know, a passing game a majority of the time if he's paired down inside with Buckner. It's 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 crazy how good he is. All right, so you talked about receivers in the second round. Um, obviously, the 49ers have an early second round pick, and and we can even talk about the potential of of trading up into the the top of the of first round you know, maybe get that, that fifth year option tagged onto it. But what are, what are some guys, uh, you know, on the wide receiver positions that you, you think they could potentially target there, at, you know, if they could get into the top of the first or even just stay put there at the second? You know, I, I guess it depends on who you're talking to because I want to say it was Daniel Jeremiah who said that he wouldn't be surprised if only one receiver was taken in the first round. Wow. And when someone on Twitter asked him who would that one receiver be, he said Hollywood Brown. <laughs> so if really? if that were to happen, you know, at the top of the second round, you have DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Hakeem Butler, Debo Samuel, Nikhil Harry. I mean, you'll have all these guys kind of sitting there and you'll kind of have your pick, you know, to uh, you know, who who do you want? So I don't think that that would be the case if I had to guess. I'd say for sure DK Metcalf is probably off the board at some point in the first round. Um, after him, I think maybe Hakeem Butler, but I'm not like uh, like that's not like a I'm not really confident with saying that. But I, I could see a team taking him, um, you know, into the first round. Um, the guys I do think would would kind of be there, and then it just depends on if they fall to the Niners. But it might be somebody you might want to trade up for. You have AJ Brown. Who I definitely would would trade for. So so AJ Brown um, at Ole Miss he played more slot, and because of their offense, he didn't run a variety of routes. Um, you could definitely tell that their their offense was uh, tailored more to go um, inside and then out, right? Like that was their read. So you see his numbers, and he has a bunch of catches over last year, a ton of production. See the outside guys with, that don't have as much production, but it looked like their offense was tailored to go from the slot, which is, you know, obviously that's the closest guy to the quarterback, so that's your easier throws to make, um, and then work outside from there. Um, but one, one thing he does show me is he he shows the, the ability to, you know, catch passes over the middle. Um, he's sneaky fast. He, he caught a five-yard hitch, actually from the outside, he caught a five-yard hitch against Vanderbilt, made a guy miss, and ran off on the rest of the defense. So, I don't think you're ever going to mistake him for a blazer, but he does give you that type of potential to where, you know, if, say, you know, if the Niners draft him, there might be a time where he's outside and he runs a slant and he catches it and, and he might go. He, he ran a 4.49 at six feet, 226 pounds. So he's like, he's built like Le'Veon Bill, but he's a, he's a receiver um, and he runs strong. He, he rarely do you see the first guy kind of bring him down. He's really good at um, making guys miss with subtle movements. 
Um, guys kind of, he looks like slippery. Guys kind of just fall off him, maybe because he's so, you know, big and strong. But um, that, that's a guy, he's very in- intriguing, shows strong hands, works back to the ball very well. And I think somebody like him, he'd be a good guy to pair with Dante Pettis and, and, and Goodwin and, and Bourne and, you know, some of those other guys. I think he'd be a good guy to kind of add that has some, uh, you know, run after the catch ability, really good. He's, he's more than a little bit more than just a possession receiver guy, but he's, he's big, he's strong, he can take hits, he can do all that as well. So I think if, if it were just one guy that I, I kind of would like that I think would be there, it's him. And, and then the next guy um, that I think would, if I had to bet money, I'd, put, I'd go all in and say he'd be there at 36, is um, Debo Samuel. And he another guy built like a rock. I mean, he's 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 a shade under six foot. We'll just say he's six feet because he's pretty much six foot tall, and he's two hundred fifteen pounds. Um, he has a very nice variety of releases. Um, really quick. He's shifty. Now, now the thing that stood out to me about him the most was he can he affects all levels more than anybody I've seen. So when you're talking about deep balls, he'll go get those. Right now, you're not going to mistake him for for Nikhil Harry as far as 50-50 balls, but he'll go up and get some, right? So he does that. He works the field on slants. Uh, the first play of the game against Kentucky, uh, ran a slant, caught it, took it to the house. So he has that ability. I mean, it was like 70 yards touchdown. Um, he'll run digs. He's strong. He work, he runs comebacks. Works back to the ball. He he runs, um, you know, change of direction routes very well. And he also he'll He'll get in the round, you know, so they, they, they'll toss him the ball, whether it's uh, little handoffs or little shovel passes, and just tell him to run with the ball. He makes guys miss. He then it turns into a running back. I mean, he's bigger than any running back that the 49ers have and, uh, and gives a lot of yards after, uh, you know, uh, contact. So he, he's a guy to me where, you know, if you pair him with the Shanahan and you'd say, okay, we want to focus on this guy and make him our number one receiver – and have a guy like Pettis work off of him, he 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 can very well be that. He could be a high volume catch guy, whether it's screens, reverses, downfield, digs, slants, whatever it is that post. I mean, he he torched uh, Clemson, had like nine catches for two hundred something yards and like three touchdowns. So he he works all levels of the field and in the red zone. He's not necessarily a jump ball guy, but he definitely can win with his routes in that area, kind of like Pettis, but he's tougher. So I, I really like a lot about him. I think the only thing that's keeping him from being my just pure number one guy is, you know, DK McCaff is just so freaky and he's dang near 6'4", 230 pounds. But um, outside of that, man, I, I really like a lot of what, what he has to offer. So if he's there at 36 and, some, and A.J. Brown and D, DK McCaff are off the board, that would 100% be my pick. Um, so kind of circling back to what uh, Daniel Jeremiah said, how he thinks that maybe one receiver goes in the first round. Um, what What is your take on why that might be the case? Then what? So we've talked kind of we've talked about why you like these guys, but it seems like looking around Twitter and reading some profiles of guys that there's just so many polarizing views of this receiver class. Um, so what would be the reasons that teams might wait till the second round to take one. What what is it about these guys that are kind of maybe scaring teams away from them a little bit? 
I, I think just the the bulk of how many good defensive guys there there are. So it's like I mean it, it's such a, a defensive heavy draft. I mean especially on the front on the front end, and then you talk about the two linebackers who are probably going to go first round with Bush and um, the one from LSU, and 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 then you talk about um, all these defensive linemen, and then there also are a few first round offensive linemen. And then I didn't even mention the quarterbacks who are going to get pushed up just because they're quarterbacks. So I think when you look at it like that, I think that's why you might see some guys slip a little bit further in this in the in the first round of this draft. And you know, a team off the top of my head, you got the Raiders. They have three picks, and I don't think they're looking to take a, a receiver with any pick after adding Tyrell Williams, after adding Antonio Brown, and then they just added somebody else, another like. Uh, receiver like slot guy but um you know and and Gruden likes veterans so so that's three that's three picks right there where just off the board that's not including quarterbacks and then just all these D linemen where you have not just the guys that we know about with you know Bosa, Quinn and Williams, Josh Allen, but then you have Burns, you have Farrell, you have Sweat. It's just just too you know and I didn't even get to the safeties where guys like Nasir Adderley might be a first round pick. So I think that's why the receivers are kind of taking a back seat in this draft, just because there's so many defensive guys that are probably going to go high and quarterbacks are going to go high just in general. Yeah, that's crazy. There's a lot of defense, but no really big corners that stand out early, I don't think, right? No, no. And the, the reason the why, I don't think there's that just – all around, well-rounded. And I think they will. I think there still will be three corners that go first round. I think there still will be three corners that go first round. Um, but in my opinion, there's nobody that just gives you that all around. Just I have no worries about anything that this guy, you know, um, can or can't do. Uh, the, the one guy I think that would be um, that guy is Byron Murphy. But at five, a little bit under 5'11", you, you can't really run a four five five, and and go high, you know. So that that that's an issue. If he would have ran just faster, even if he was just in the four fours, I think he'd be a lot to go in the top twenty. I think now he might get pushed down a little bit, but I, I still would say he goes first round. But he, that that forty and and not having the length might worry some guys, you know, depending on the scheme. Now if he goes to like the Patriots where he's in a too high system. And, you know, they, they run some couple fours, some match stuff. And, you know, uh, they run a, a, like a two-man under. He's going to be great in that type of scheme. Um, I think his, his value is more as a slot corner. I think he'd be great in a slot for any team, super physical, great zone eyes, great anticipation, all that. Um, and, you know, at, out of the slot, you don't cover as many vertical routes. I think that's ideally a great fit for him. But how – high do you just draft somebody where you just want to stick them into the slot so that that that's another thing even in the passing offense you know uh, well, if you're the 49ers uh, do it in the first or second round and make him a slot i guess yeah the 49ers do some very questionable things with the defensive backs yeah <laughs> um i think right now i'm i'm beating the drum for either debo samuel or nazir adderley at, at uh 36 if adderley's even there i mean you, you know, he could probably go in late first round and not be there, but um, not really sure. But how do you prioritize the needs right now versus who could be there? Do you think receiver 
or uh... well, it, it's weird with how they've constructed the team. So it's like, okay, I, I know I, I, I have Colbert, who played very well his rookie year, um, whether it was injuries or whatever the case is, took a couple steps back last year, or like 10 steps back, really. And then, and then you have Ward, who you brought back on a one-year, five-year deal. So is that the guy you want to start at safety? And he's going to be playing safety now. So it's like, is he who you want, and you're giving him a prove-it deal? And then you have Cobra just for an assurance, or, you know, I don't know how that situation is going to go. And then you have DJ uh, Reed, who, who plays safety, plays slot, and he's like, okay, he did play a lot of single high, so what do you want to do with him? So I, I, I'm really kind of confused with how they want to address the safety position. I think if they wanted to make it a priority, I, I, I feel like they would have not brought back Ward. Because, you know, if, if, if safety was something I wanted to make a priority, then I would, I would not go with Ward. I would go into the offseason with Reed and um, Colbert. And if I want to draft a guy now, now I could draft a guy high. And now he's probably competing with Colbert for a starting spot. You know what I'm saying? But when you throw Ward in there, even though it's a one-year deal, it kind of throws up the dynamics of all that. And I, I can't see them throwing a fourth guy into that, especially hot with a high pick. So that that so I I I'm not saying that they might not draft a, a safety, but I don't know about drafting one at 36 because of because of that situation. Receiver seems much more likely. They didn't really put a whole lot of money into the receiver position. Um, yeah, you signed Matthews. All right. I, I don't think that's going to change any plans. And then outside of that, you have um, Goodwin. I mean, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to play a full season? You know, I, I don't know. His production was what he caught 20-something passes last year. Um, Kendrick Bourne, he led the team. Is that who you want to lean on um, going forward at your receiver spot? I, I don't know. So the fact that they didn't really use any resources other than Matthews, Jordan Matthews, who I, I don't think changes anything, that kind of lets me. And then trying to get Odell Beckham, you know, bringing all those guys in, I, I think that's – I think receiver for me is, like, the number one spot, it, you know, that they, they attack in that second round. Well, what, what, what do you think uh, uh, the roster looks like pertaining to receivers if they don't take a receiver at that second-round pick? You know, I mean – I'm sure they'll probably take a receiver in this draft, but if they, you know, if it's a sixth or seventh round pick, it's not a guy they're expecting to make an impact. So if, right. if, if the, the way the roster looks right now, and that's the receiver group they have going into, you know, this, this 2019 season for, for Garoppolo, how would you feel about that? You know, I know you're a big fan of Kendrick Bourne and, you know, Dante Pettis, no, no, but, but like, it's a I lot like of young Kendrick guys. I like Kendrick Bourne because I like the underdogs. But when I was watching, I was at the game watching the Giants game. And I'm looking out there, and I see Richie James, Pettis, and Bourne. And it's like, <laughs> nobody's scared of that. No. <laughs> you know, nobody's scared of that. No. I, I, I don't think any of those guys – I like Kendrick Bourne as a fourth receiver. So if he's your fourth receiver and maybe an outside guy goes down for a game and you need him to fill in, I feel comfortable with him in that role. I think there's value for him being your fourth receiver. But – Wanting to run an offense through him or, you know, I think guys have too much uh, specific roles. You, I, I would like to add a guy who's more well-rounded that does a multiple, you know, that does multiple things very well. So now, um, you know, I don't tip my hand with every time I line up on the, on the ball. 
Pettis, you know, he's great route runner. Kind of struggled a little bit, um, you know, deep over the middle, you know. Um, he, that hasn't been a strong suit for him. Um, he hasn't been the best at catching uh, contested passes. Um, I, I don't think he's been very aggressive with that. So he's somebody who does very well when creates separation and just with Shanahan scheming him open in space. But you do kind of want more of an alpha dog receiver that has ability to still break off big plays. And I think that's why you, you would want to get a guy in in that uh, that second round at the top. Well, could, couldn't that guy be George Kittle? You know, we've had the emergence of George Kittle last season, and you know that maybe the the additions they've made in the backfield makes it a little bit easier of a pill to swallow, not having that alpha dog at the receiver position. Yeah, but I, I, I just my opinion. I think George Kittle is better suited when he's somebody that not saying an afterthought, but somebody that you can continue the scheme open and not have to rely on him to be open. Does that make sense? Because I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think that he's just – I think he's a, he's a terrific athlete, terrific athlete. I don't think he's the purest receiver tight end. So, like, I know he gets compared to, like, uh, Kelsey and Ertz a lot, you know, and people looking at him like, oh, he's the best. I, I don't think he's just a better pure receiver than those guys. I think he's a better athlete. So if you can get him open in the space, his catch, his run after catch is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, but I just don't think that as far as route running and, oh, I'm just going to line him up on the outside and run a, sl- run a slant and he's going to big body a guy and just catch it, you know, with somebody hanging all over him. Or, oh, I'm just going to line him up on the outside and throw a fade to him like a Jimmy Graham. I don't think he's that guy. And no. I, I don't – and because of those kind of limitations – I'm not saying he can't get better at it. I just don't want to have to depend on him to be the focal point of my offense. I would like to have a receiver take some of the attention off of him. So then now when I, you know, it's like, well, you have to worry about this guy, Pettis, and Kittle instead of just these guys on, you know, whoever we have out there, you know, Pettis and Bourne and Taylor, who people aren't scared of. And it's now like, okay, well, just focus on this tight end and we'll just shut down our whole offense. Kittle... Kittle's route running, I think, took a huge step forward this year, um, especially when he went up against some of these linebackers and inside safety type players. Um, and you can see it, like just kind of the way he runs the routes, sticks his foot in the ground and plants and, and turns. Um, being a big target kind of helps him in that regard. But, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, I, don't, I can't envision a scenario where Shanahan's ever going to line him up in the slot and keep him there without motioning him. Um, and just running him across the field like that. Um, he obviously, you know, we've seen him. He works better from an inline tight end position like that. Um, and especially it just works with what Shanahan wants to do, I guess, with, you know, 21 personnel and, and only having a two-receiver formation instead of a three or four. But um, even when Kittle was, like, the main focal point, you know, half last half of the season, I mean, it still couldn't really – Teams really still couldn't scheme to take him away, um, so it's it's going to be interesting. Like you were saying, if they can add another another good receiver outside, and you've got potentially Pettis, Goodwin, whatever the situation with him is going forward, and then somebody they draft, it's really going to kind of stretch and expand the field vertically and horizontally at the same time. Right. So we were talking about corner uh, cornerbacks earlier and possible guys that you think they might 
look at in the draft. Um, how how confident are you with Akilah Witherspoon off uh, opposite Richard Sherman? You think this is a position that they need to address, or or are they looking at Akilah as a guy that can they can turn into that you know that number two corner across from Sherman, and and really with with, with Sherman's age, it potentially turn into him needing to be the number one guy. What are your thoughts on on Witherspoon? You know that that's another position where you know I mentioned earlier, like they've been doing a lot of really weird things with how they've addressed just the secondary in general. Cornerback, same thing, is very interesting. So you have a killer with a spoon who has talent. We know that he has good movement skills. He can run with guys, but it's not consistent, right? It's not consistent. He plays well in stretches, right? So he, he played very well down the stretch where where he was good. I don't think he he's a guy who you ever want to have to be your number one corner, but I think as a starting corner in the NFL, I think he'd he'd be solid, uh, a solid two or number two or three corner on most teams in the NFL. Now his consistency, it, yeah, once he learns to be consistent, he'd be a solid two for any team in the NFL. Um, but then you have Richard Sherman on the other side, who teams didn't really attack, but the teams that did, they, they had some pretty good success, right? When, you know, um, Tampa Bay lined up, you know, and said, you know what, we're going to go right at this guy. And they went right at him, and they had some success with Mike Evans, who, I mean, he's tough for anybody. Um, but the one that kind of worried me a little bit was the Broncos. They lined up and said, we're going to go at, at you. And Tim Patrick was capitalizing on it. And there were other plays, too, where Patrick was open and they just didn't throw to him, but he was beating Richard Sherman. So you have a killer, fine, we'll see, right? Richard Sherman, we'll see if he gets better. And then behind them, you have Tarverius Moore, who to me really looks like a safety-playing corner, and that's because he is a safety-playing corner. Uh, But he's not somebody who I would have a whole lot of faith in moving forward to be like a guy. Um, Just He's kind of heavy-footed. So... When you when you kind of look at that, it's like, okay, well, you're just moving to safety. But then now you're dealing with what you've d- done with Ward, where you've been like, well, just leave Ward at this position. So, he, you know, or this, you know, leave him here for a little bit. Stop moving him around. So I think they give him another shot um, at corner. And then you bring in Verrett, where he's coming off of injuries and he's only played five games in the last three years. So do you bring in, do you draft a corner high? to where now it kind of, I don't want to say puts pressure on Akello and Moore, but Moore has, the whole goal was to develop the guy. So you're kind of saying, well, we're giving up on Moore developing. Um, and then it kind of, you know, maybe pushes, yeah, yeah, they compete with Akello, and maybe Akello wins, but then now you're, you've wasted a high pick on the corner. So that, that's kind of been my issue with how they've addressed the cornerback position. There's no clear-cut plan. That, that's what it looks like to me. We don't really have a plan. We have a killer who we like. He's inconsistent at times. You have Richard Sherman, who's old, and teams didn't target him. If they do, we might be in trouble. And then behind them, we have a guy who really isn't a cornerback, and then we have somebody that's been injured. So I, I think that the way they've kind of attacked it has been, like, bad. I see no clear-cut plan for how they're addressing the position unless they just want to move on from Akello and and more, or they want to move on, on from Richard Sherman, which I, I don't really see those things being the case. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. 
Well, and the okay. other the other big addition they made to the defensive backs was actually on the coaching staff. You know, they they let Jeff Halfley walk and brought in Joe Woods to be the defensive backs coach. He's also the passing game coordinator, whatever the hell that means. But right. uh, uh, what 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 are your what are your thoughts on on what he's going to bring to the team and what what do you hope he brings to the team? You know, you talk about how it seems like they don't have a plan at the defensive backs, and you know that might be why they moved on from Halfley. I know it, it was reported that Halfley just took a job at Ohio State, but I'm sure he was he was he was pushed out a little bit on that. So 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 what do you, what do you think Joe Woods is going to bring, and is 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 he going to maybe bring some stability to the to the cornerback position? Because I think that's the biggest question mark on this defense. Well, I think he's going to help because he's a defensive back guy, you know. And, like, so Halfley, I never really looked at him. I, I kind of looked at his resume, and he's been coaching DBs and stuff. But he's not really a defensive back guy. Woods is a DB guy. So I, I think that, like, him, and I don't think that he's going to be intimidated by Sherman, which, you know, we saw with Halfley. Halfley kind of took a back seat to Sherman coaching the kids and things like that. So, you know, and, and you might have Halfley saying, well, I want to do it this way. Then you have Sherman saying, "We'll do it this way." Now, how does that? Where does that leave the 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 young DBs? Who do I listen? Do I listen to Sherman or do I listen to Halfley? Halfley's been teaching us this way, and then now Sherman's saying doing it this way. You know, you see how that can be like a little bit confusing. But I think Woods is somebody that's going to come in with the respect and credibility to where it's like, no, we're going to do it this way. And I, I think that'll help some of these young guys, and and also you know just how he had the guys playing with the Broncos. Um, they had young guys, they had injured guys. He always dealt with injuries. He had to leave, but it seemed like that secondary always played fairly well, you know. Now, yeah, they gave up 200 yards in the first half to George Kittle, but and and he was a you know the defensive coordinator. So maybe he's not suited to be a defensive coordinator. But as far as teaching our DBs coverage and things like that, um, I, I think he. I have a lot more confidence in him being the DC. I mean, defensive back coach. And I did Jeff Hafley. I mean, so the, one thing that I noticed with um, like watching some Broncos defense after they signed him or after they brought him on was that Denver played a lot of press man coverage. Um, do you think that kind of do you, do you think that's the strength of our DBs then? Because I don't I don't see Witherspoon as a guy that can just drop straight back into a, like a zone and an off the ball type of role. Um, I think he's better if he's in like a press man situation and a lot of the film that I watched back on Witherspoon towards the end of the year was basically showing me that unless I'm just being off base here, let me know. But I think he's going to um, help in that regard and, and kind of locking down some of these techniques in that scheme. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, no, they, they definitely, I, I think that they, they excel more in a press man type scheme, especially if you're running like a two high with safeties over top, I think everything um, that that played more to their strengths, whether it was the outside guys or um, or the, the 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 slot guys with with Kawan Williams. Kawan Williams, where where it looked like sometimes he struggled was in space, right? And you know, in the cover three, where whether you're talking about the the wheel route, uh, the big play by Golden Tate against the Lions, right? Remember that huge play. Yeah. Um, that was a cover three beater in space, you know, or, or when you think to the, the Vikings game, there was a third and five play where he was playing a little bit um, like he got caught in between two guys and they ended up throwing it to 
Thielen and having a huge game. Well, a lot of the issues have been have been um, uh, the zone, you know. So I, I think a lot of our guys work better in a more of a two man type situation. Now you can run your zone, but you better be getting a lot of pressure. And if you're not, it gives time for those routes to develop. It's, and when that happens, you're you're you're, you're going to be in trouble. It's one of the that's one of the things I don't like about the scheme is that it's more spot dropping versus you know more pattern match type stuff. Um, and that's especially that's something that hurt them against the Giants when Odell caught that um, touchdown, one of his two touchdowns in that game. It was just the zone guys spot drop instead of running with routes that come into their zone like you would in a pattern match. So I kind of hope right. they get away from hope they get away from a lot of that. And that's what um, something that Joe Woods did with the Broncos after Wade Phillips left was he said, "I'm going to run Wade, basically Wade Phillips' principles and scheme," and that's basically what he did. And that's a lot more pattern matching, um, banjo coverage, things like that, that we're probably going to see. So you don't get in situations where, well, he just spot dropped into a hook zone, but he's not my responsibility since he ran right past me and he's now in the safety zone or something. So hopefully they do away with a lot of that stuff and run kind of more of that, um, that match coverage. Right. Yeah. And and those are things that I would like to see. I, I would like to see a more aggressive style defense with the with with the uh, with the um, coverage, the the issue is they're, they're they're going to the Seattle scheme where in Seattle they have guys that understood their 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 job to a T. They knew exactly where they were supposed to be, when they were supposed to be. They knew that the, the timing that the quarterbacks had. So everybody was playing extremely fast. Everybody knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing, and it made it really tough on guys. And it was a newer scheme at that time. Well, now people have had time to figure it out, and you have everybody trying to run it, and you might not have the personnel to run it, and especially if you don't have a mean pass rush. So, you know, there's a lot of things that it shows a little bit more forced right now. Um, but if you can get that pass rush down and just mix it up more, I remember thinking that the Cowboys were more of a too high team, but they mix in that that uh, Seattle scheme stuff. They do run some too high. I, I think they run a variety of coverages very well. And then if you look at how fast the defense plays from the linebackers to the defensive line, everybody's screaming around. So, okay, maybe Cheeto Awuzier isn't the best outside corner. Maybe uh, Anthony Brown isn't the best slot. Maybe uh, Heath, um, the safety number 38, isn't the best safety. But we're still able to do everything that we want because – everybody's still doing their job and they're playing super fast. And, and that was something that I didn't see a lot from the 49ers. Even going back to the uh, Cowboys versus 49ers preseason game, if you kind of remember just that that first couple, those first couple of drives, just watch how fast the Cowboys defense was playing and then watch the 49ers defense. Yeah. And it, it, it was night and day. Yeah, I mean, it took it seemed like it took almost all season to figure out their kind of their bread and butter scheme. And it was going to a more too high look. They played more too high after the bye week um, than they did previously, I think, in the first two seasons. So um, hopefully they're going to probably do that a little bit more of that, disguise a lot of that stuff, um, right. and, and get better in that regard. And I think Joe Woods is probably the perfect guy to do that. And then right. you pair it with you know, you pair it with Chris Kosser coming in and who's going to put in more of the wide nine – defensive front and you know they're they're definitely making 
the changes they think are necessary. I mean, they're, there's, these are some pretty bold moves that they're going to be implementing in that scheme that they have we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, well, I, I'm just wanting to see how how well everything just kind of, you know, just comes together. And at the end of the day, it's just getting guys to understand what the guys, you know, have to do. You know, we saw, yeah. you know, Eli Harrell, right? Think back to Eli Harrell. And after he got traded, one of the things he said was, that was the best thing that, that ever happened to me because I kind of got like, you know, a little relaxed, I guess you could say, right? And is that something that is happening with the other guys? You know, when you get so used to losing, because I've been on teams where, we were losing, and then I went to a winning team, and the entire culture of everything, practice, games, everything was drastically different. How we approached every game, it was so different compared to being on a, a losing team and a winning team. So is that what's going on? You know, was that going on with some of our younger guys? You know, is that what was going on with Colbert? Is that what was going on with Witherspoon? And I, I think I know the answer to Witherspoon. The answer is yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people think that he got benched, uh, you know, when he got benched was more for play, and it wasn't. Originally, yeah, part of it was his ankle, um, you know, and he had the bad game against the uh, Lions. But after that, they didn't like how he was, you know, practicing, you know. And I heard this from somebody very close to that situation. They didn't like how he was practicing. They didn't like some of the effort that they saw. So they, ben- they, so they benched him. And he had to work. And it made a fire under him. And you saw, you know, he closed out the season, you know, well. Uh, these dudes got to really learn how to, you know, prepare like winners. And and when you have young guys and, you know, who 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 on this team has won? Like, other than like a Sherman, you know, we, we don't have anybody that's just winning, especially guys that have been there. DeForest Buckner's never won. You know, and that's like your leader. So, you know, Armstead's never won. So you have all these guys that ever since they've been there, They've been losers. And then you have a few guys that have been winners, but that, that whole culture needs to be changed. And, um, you know, if, if guys can turn around and, and get to, you know, taking it a little bit more serious, then you'll, you'll have something, you know, especially with this young group because they, they've addressed everything now for the most part. They need that receiver. But um, for the most part, you know, just to win, just to be able to win, 49ers have the roster for that. You got to stay healthy and you have guys just do your job. All right, last uh, question for me, Eric. Um, what are some names that uh, we should keep an eye on, like in day three, like late in the draft, that we should circle that are, you know, Shanahan types, whether it's a receiver or like a defensive back? Um, well, you know, obviously he, he they like a lot of athleticism. So there's this guy I did a thread on. His name is Jimmy Moreland, right? Um, he's a, he's a, like 5'10 corner. He ran a 4'3'8", I believe, at his pro day. Um, he was at the Senior Bowl. Did very well. Um, he was he was at the Shrine game. Did very well there as well. Um, so Jimmy Moreland, uh, the 49ers, a lot of times are really big on athleticism, especially like on the back end or at receiver. So I think he's somebody that can um, definitely, uh, you know, kind of maybe catch your eye if they want to attack, you know, a defensive back position late. So you have Jimmy Moreland. And then on the receiver side of things, I think day three, um, a guy that I'll be talking with soon, but Keelan Doss, who he's a receiver from UC Davis. He's a terrific uh, route runner. He plays big. He can stretch the field. He reminds me a lot of um, a guy I played with and went to the Niners, Eric Rogers. Um, when I when I watch Keelan Doss, that's kind of who I see. I see Eric Rogers a little bit. I, I think if 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 Doss 
was at a bigger school, maybe like a power five school, I think he'd be somebody that you would see get a lot more love as a day two guy. But because he's, you know, UC Davis, uh, you know, th- those things are kind of working against him. But he, he's athletic. He's big. He runs a decent 40. Um, hands catcher, which I really like. Move him around. UC Davis, put him outside. They put him in the slot. He, you know, when, when you are at a smaller school like that, you would like to see him dominate his division, the whole uh, FCS, and he did that. He, he, he dominated that whole thing for two years um, straight. He, he probably had like over 3,000 yards receiving the last couple of years, over 100 catches each year. So he's a high production guy, 6'2", 210 pounds, runs very well, good routes. Um, if the 49ers, I, I would add him, even if, even if I drafted a receiver second round, I would look to add one more guy who I feel like has high potential. Um, I think Jay stole my question there, so that's cool. I'll let that go. <laughs> um, I don't really have any other questions. I did tweet out that um, we were having you on, and if people had any questions they wanted to ask, unfortunately, I only got three. We answered one of them from uh, when we talked about receiver versus safety priority, and that's a shout out to Will Cuberos. He's another um, 49ers hub guy. Um, that was his question, so I kind of piggybacked off that earlier in the show. Um, Harry Elizondo at Harry Elizondo nine on Twitter asks, "What do you guys think of Miles Boykin? Tested through the roof and had pretty good tape." Eric, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I've watched him. Um, smooth. He's a smooth route runner. Um, yeah, I, I, in my notes, I put effortless. All right, so hold on, let me go to my notes because I, I have them. All right, effortless runner. Natural soft hands, natural hands catcher. Doesn't run precise routes, but has ability to improve. So what I mean by that is you, you see the movement um, ability. You see it's not like he has like heavy feet or a bad change of direction or anything like that. So when I watch him run routes, it's like, okay, he doesn't run the crispest routes, but it's definitely something that he can improve on. Like he has good body control. Um, he, he lets DBs get in his chest too easily too often. So versus press, guys – like just like they just get in the games I watched, they kept getting hands on them, and it's like you know I would like to see even though he's bigger, I would like to see him um, either make guys miss uh, more with his feet or you know his release at the line of scrimmage, or be a guy like DK McCaff where he just powers through it and is just not effective at all. So um, too easily got hands on him, and he wasn't even playing against like the best uh, talent. So you know that that was one thing I I saw stand out. Um. Looks to have quickness and ability to beat press more consistently. So, yeah, that, that kind of goes back to where he has the ability to do it. Those are things he just needs to work on. Uh, where there's some guys where it's like, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to get off the press. Like uh, Nikhil Harry. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I'm not really um, like uh, too optimistic that he'll, be, he'll ever be somebody that consistently gets off press with ease. Uh, and then some people just naturally have it. Like, I really like Riley Ridley. He naturally gets off press easily. All right. Um, had some trouble with 24 from Northwestern. So I was watching the Northwestern game, and it didn't look like a big defensive back, but he was just all over Boinkins. So I, I did see that. Um, forces DBs to panic, gets a lot of flags thrown um, while guarding them. So he did test very well. He, he does definitely have size. Uh, it seemed like once he got going downfield, guys would panic while the ball was in the air. So he did draw some penalties. 
Um, takes pride in blocking. All right, so I have that. He is definitely a terrific blocker. Um, and I said, for whatever reason, he doesn't get downfield separation. And and the reason why I said for whatever reason is because I see everything else. It looks like he has. He has the speed. He has the long speed. He has the agility. He has all those things. But he just wasn't getting any type of separation downfield. So um, that was why I put for whatever reason. And then good. He he's my last note was he catches uh, well in traffic. So, you know, you're talking about slants, digs, things like that. I thought he did a good job um, catching the ball more times than not. So th- those are my notes on Miles Boykin. That's uh, pretty in-depth there. That's good stuff. I haven't really watched any of him um, except what I saw on TV with Notre Dame. But, um, and the he last question. He tested like crazy. He tested. Like, yeah. His testing numbers are like amazing. Yeah, he but, seems like someone that's come on um, as a lot of people's favorite um, you know, in recent weeks after the combine and stuff, um, just right. solely based on the test and the pro day. Um, and the last question is kind of a, just a funny question from Kyle. I always mess Kyle's name up. Bright Crutes, yeah, original I've 49ers. Never, I've never been able to get it right. I don't think anybody's ever pronounced it right. So sorry, Kyle, if you listen to this. But can, can Eric stay as part of the cast or ski, on scheme cast. Thanks in advance. Um, yes, I don't yes, think he that's he can if he wants to, but I th- have a feeling bigger and better things are coming for Eric. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't so say we'll, bigger we'll and better, but I have some things I've been working on. Yeah, uh, we'll leave it at that. Well, thanks again uh, for joining us, Eric. Uh, why don't you let the folks one more time um, where where they can find you on Twitter? That's the best place to. Uh, to follow all the content you got to follow eric guys if you're not following eric on twitter if you don't even have a twitter account go make one and just follow <laughs> eric because he's constantly got content coming out on there yeah this morning i just um did a thread on on uh on lonnie johnson he was a corner a lot of people were asking me about and um i saw some people have him as high as a cb2 in the draft so i wanted to put out a thread and you know, I, I, I like them. Like, it, it, again, like a lot of the other corners, I, you know, I don't just love any of them, but Kentucky, um, right? Solid. Yeah, Kentucky corner. Yeah, that really reminded me a lot of Tremaine Johnson. A lot. He, he showed up a lot when I was watching Josh Allen's film a, a couple, a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. One question I did have before we sign off here: Who was, what was the tweet yesterday that you had of the video of the guy it looked like he was running at pro day? I couldn't oh, tell so- what receiver it was. Um, there were two. I, I posted one that was DK Metcalf. In the and, red shirt. Yeah. They, they, boy, they had the same thing. So one was DK Metcalf, one was AJ Brown. Um, and I'll kind of break down both of those clips. All right. Okay. So one, one thing I'll always tell people, you know, you run faster looking straight ahead than you do looking back. Well, well, DK is somebody where, like, so he beat Lonnie Johnson, right, for a long touchdown. And that was when I knew DK Metcalf was fast. That was when I really started. Like, I'm like, man. That's not normal speed because he's looking back at the quarterback the whole time. Once he got past the cor- corner, he's looking back at the cor- corner uh, quarterback, and the corner wasn't gaining any separation. So I'm like, either that corner is slow, or this dude, DK McCaffrey, is extremely fast. And if he's extremely fast, I think he's going to run into four threes. And people are like, no way. He's not going to run into four threes. I'm like, dude, this dude pulled away from this guy, and he's looking back at the quarterback. That's not normal. Like, those are things I noticed, right? So, um... So uh, DK McCaff, I'm, I'm watching him. His 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 releases, he people they get so caught up in this three cone thing. Oh, so now all of a sudden, because he didn't have a good three cone, that was the stupidest two days on Twitter. Because he didn't have a good three cone. That's saying a lot, man. 
uh, yeah, he, well he, at the time he, it was the stupidest two days superseded oh, by everything man. else that's happened since then yeah it's like now he can't run any routes and it's like no that's not true i i had people well yeah he can run straight good just don't ask him to turn left or turn right and they're like oh, no that's not that's not it now yeah and then there's like brad kelly's do, showing clips of him like cutting on all these routes and he's like can't can't do this can't do that who's you know like yeah, basically it, shutting like, down the, the haters now, now, you might not want to ask him to run left and then right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if you just, you know, like, but if you just want him to run things that he's going to win on consistently, he's going to win on slants. He's just too big and powerful. He's going to win on digs. He's going to win on goals. And because of the threat of his speed, he's going to win on, on um, like, curls, five-yard curls, 10-yard curls, things like that, right? Unless you run as fast as him, he's going to be too much of a threat on all those. And then he's bigger than everybody, but his speed, and this is why he's just, he's a wide receiver one. It's not normal to be six, three, 230 pounds almost, and be able to just run straight past somebody. And when you can do that, it opens up everything else for, for everyone else. Right. So essentially Marquise Goodwin, that, that's our guy, right? Stretch the field, open things up for everybody else. Marquise Goodwin basically is just a miniature version of him. And if you really watch Marquise Goodwin, he's not really the best route runner. He is a little stiff. He is, you know, you don't think of that like that because, you know, he's 5'9 or whatever. So you don't think like, oh, this guy's stiff. But yeah, Mar- Marquise Goodwin, he- he's a little stiff with his route running. Um, you-, you notice you don't really see him running slants like that, you know, because that's not really going to be his thing where he just beats somebody off the line and he's able to stack him and run a slant. But with DK Metcalf, he's so big, he kind of just powers through it and then explodes out of his break. So he does beat guys on those type of things. Um, there's just too much good, too much upside to pass on him. But I, I know I went on a tangent, but back to the, that rep. He beat the guy, you know, it's a coach, right? And he stacks. So yeah. what it shows me is he has good he has good habits, right? He, he, he beats the guy outside, works to get back on top of the guy, and then he drives. So his head down, he's driving, and his three steps might be like 15 yards. I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy. He's just so powerful. And his head down, head down, head down, because you run faster looking forward than you do get looking back. And then once he feels like the ball's in the air and kind of like getting on him, boom, he looks back for the ball. And those are things I was just like, man, those are that's good for any receiver to watch because those are a lot of good habits. And then the other one was A.J. Brown. and he ran a he ran a curl and it was boom nice quick hands violent hands at the line of scrimmage again it's just a, a, against the coach routes on the air but he ran he exploded out he didn't pop up too high so like Harmon right Harmon is somebody I noticed when I was watching him when he's running a curl he pops up and you see that thing from a mile away so you can jump his routes AJ Brown didn't pop up he's driving he's driving driving and he snaps down and to me I'm like. Whoa, that was hella good. Just, just that part, just to be able to snap down that six foot, 226 pounds. And then what he did after that was explode out of the break, work back to the ball, and catch the ball away from his body, out in front, away from his body at full speed, which you don't see a lot of guys be able to do that because guys don't have that much confidence in their hands. So those were just things that I just noticed just from those two reps, from those two guys, where there's a lot to work with. You know, even just off of those, I could just see those two routes and not see anything else. And if I were a coach, I would say to myself, 
I can work with that from this guy or I can work with that from this guy. So those were those where you, you'll see it probably all up and down my timeline because people have been retweeting it. And um, I know you guys asked me for my Twitter account is at Eric underscore Crocker. But um, those are just really good things that you want to see your your receivers do. Two big, explosive, powerful receivers. So I know I went on a tangent, but yeah. That's no, right. that's cool. I was just going to explain real quick. When you say stack, it means some people might not know. So I'm just going to say that basically stack just means the receiver puts the DB back right directly behind him to make the quarterback or to give the quarterback like an easier throw. So especially in like Metcalf's case, you know, you stack the defender and then the quarterback has basically only one spot. He can put the ball and that's out in front and that's just an easier throw to make. Um, and then there's another one called stem and that's basically just basically squaring up the defender and uh, making it easier for yourself to cut in any direction at that point, instead of giving the defender leverage. Right. And, and also when you stack a defensive back, it now gives you a two-way go. So if yeah. I put you on on my back, like right hip, you're more likely to fall for any move that I give you. So yeah. if I, I do a right-left jab and go one way, you're probably going to get lost, and you're probably going to have to grab me. If I give you a left-right jab and go the other way, you're probably going to get lost and have to grab me. So it, it kind of causes more penalties. It kind of makes the defense defender have – unless he has help over top. Now, if he has help over top, then he's fine because he's in the trail position. But if he doesn't have help over top and you have somebody big, explosive, and powerful like McCaff, once he puts you on your back, it's over. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's, needs uh, a guy like that. <laughs> that's something that I've noticed that Pettis does really well, is, is stacking and stemming. Yep, he does. Pettis does it extremely well. Um, okay, cool. So I guess I'm, I'm all out of questions. Um, Jay, do you have anything else? No, I think it's a good spot to wrap it up. Uh, really appreciate you again for coming on, Eric. Um, everybody, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Schemecast presented by 49ers Hub. Uh, have a good weekend, and go Niners. Go Niners. Go Niners. Go Niners.